0: Welcome back to Armour on the Air, the podcast where we inspect microbiology and health through a societal lens. And today, we're exploring how in the world bacteria swim and move around. And I must add that this is among my favorite topics in microbiology. I love talking about flagella. I am
1: so excited to learn today because this is definitely not a topic that I am very familiar with. It is... uh, Oh, I'm very excited. But it's super cool, but it's just not... No one taught us about this back in pharmacy school. Yeah,
0: and I actually think the reason why is because a lot of the discoveries we're going to talk about today were actually made in, like, the last four or five years. Oh, cool. Yeah, so this is, like, cutting-edge stuff. And we're not going to get, like, we kind of generally knew how the flagella works, and I don't think we're going to go into too, too much detail beyond that, because now we know, like, the biochemistry of what binds and what activates the motor and how the communication signaling pathways work but we're not going to get too into that because it's just a bunch of acronyms and it's not that fun unless you're a biochemist so given that um we're just going to like generally touch on how these things work sort of what the other the the techniques are for moving around but before we get into all of that
1: Caroline how are you doing? I'm doing great thank you we just uh, got the news that we are allowed to stay in our current house uh, for an extra month so we don't have any uh homeless time uh, before we move so that's mm-hmm. very nice and very uh very
0: uh fortunate
1: yes but also calming <laughs> like oh, it gives you see. a sense of peace yes. to not have to uh, worry about finding a temporary place to stay right
0: finding an airbnb in storage yeah. for furniture oh, and storage and having yeah. to move like three times in less than a month or something yeah how are you doing Dana? I'm also doing well. I am helping out with a summer program, summer research program this year, and we're in week two, and so I've been getting to know my students and they're lovely, delightful, wonderful human beings, and I'm having a great time.
1: So you get Americans and vacation, or the lack of vacation is just... it keeps...
0: We don't take breaks here.
1: No, you don't. No, you don't. You just keep going, summer, oh, let's do something more. (laughs) yeah yeah like now we finally have the free time to work (laughs) 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 more.
0: yes what (laughs) yeah Yeah, and I'm I'm also like a weird anomaly in that I don't want to say I like working I just won't sign up for things if I wouldn't enjoy them and so I just end up being excited to work um which is an odd conversation to have because it's not like I'm excited to work. I just don't really. This is a whole thing. I like. I am excited to challenge myself, and I've reached a point where I don't really sign up for things that don't do that for me. Or if they challenge me too hard, I'm just like, there's no point. I'm not doing this. I'm out. So I just basically I just quit everything like that I don't your want PhD. to do. PhD. I mean, I I like doing like PhD you- work. We're not going to get into the nuance of how I'm not paid enough for all the labor I do, but. Don't get me started. I like working with bacteria. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's good. That's good. Like, that's how ideally your, like, work life should be. Ideally. Uh, I mean, yeah. It's not the reality in a lot of people. No, 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 for a lot of people. But, yeah.
0: But good. I'm glad you're enjoying yourself. I'm glad you're enjoying yourself, too. And you have yeah. some, some peace and some calm before you, before you move a bunch. Before you move. Yeah, I okay. I have a proposition, too. Okay. Bring it. Now that the mask mandates are lifting and we're all vaccinated, what is stopping us from doing the recordings in person? This could be a game changer, Caroline.
1: We've been doing these yeah.
0: podcasts for over a year and we've never done them in the same room. No, we should do that. We should do that.
1: Yeah. Yay! It's yeah, just too big. <laughs> it's just it's funny how you've gotten so used to just staying at home and yeah like, doing stuff online. So well, it, when what, you are uh, like confronted with the opportunity yeah. to actually
0: like do things in person, then you know, we should do that. We should do that. I I yeah. agree. All right, let's dig into the bacteria movement thing. So, Caroline, to start us off, why do bacteria move? (laughs) Why do humans move, I guess? Why do
1: humans move? Yeah, because someone decided to sell our house. That's why we move.
0: (laughs) Okay, that Um, got too real. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Um, yeah, why do you move? You move in order to, like, have a better life or have a life. So if you're in danger, (laughs) you should move. If you are hungry... And there's no food where you are. You should move, if you. Well, this this is probably not the case. This isn't the case for bacteria, but yeah, it kind of is. If you want to find new genes, you should move, Uh, because yeah, we already talked about horizontal gene transfer, Mm -hmm. Um, and like sometimes a bacteria gets lucky and something just like, blobs into it.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hi, new gene, nice. (laughs) Just, just diffusing away through the
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but uh, you could also move to find some if you would
0: like yeah it. i would also argue like a career, a shift in career trajectory would also cause a human to move and i'm imagining Definitely. a bacteria in a biofilm that's like in the in the like the deepest part of the biofilm where there's no oxygen and it just processes waste (laughs) and it wants a career shift. So it moves to the surface where it can metabolize for the colony instead. I'm too good for this. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I don't know if bacteria have established like societal norms associated with your worth as a bacterium and your career path, which humans tragically have done. And I think if we followed the bacteria model of living, we would be much happier, (laughs) We should we should have uh,
1: our uh, genius uh, illustrator on the team make like a little cartoon of a bacteria in yes, like I a want... suit and tie, yes. and who's just like so tired of where it is in life, just <laughs> needs, to, needs to go somewhere. Yes, new.
0: humble leader Colleen, can you make that happen? A comic, a tiny comic of a little bacteria yes. sh- changing its career trajectory. <laughs> pretty late in his life and all of his bacteria friends are like it's too risky don't do it Ralphie (laughs) Ralphie yes Yes. (laughs) it will be posted on our twitter dear listeners stay tuned (laughs) you underscore (laughs) armor okay did I did I did I hit on everything you hit you hit basically the key points the the one sort of phrase I was going to use is that bacteria move toward favorable conditions and away from unfavorable conditions and this can take a lot of different forms so something we don't really think about that much as humans who just we flush our waste down the toilet or take it to the dumpster and then you know out of sight (laughs) out of mind basically bacteria don't have systems to do that in most cases some advanced biofilms do have like a really robust pipe system that can do that but generally one thing bacteria need to account for is that they need to move away from where they're producing waste, otherwise they poison themselves. Um, so that's a good that's one to move. thing they can't. Really Tired stay of living in, in your own poop. Yeah, yeah, move. it's not cute. It's not cute, and to them, it's not poop. It's alcohol. But you know, yeah. <laughs> or Which, like I undigestible mean... carbon chains. Things like that. Nitro- yeah. uh, things with nitrogen are very difficult to, to digest for most organisms. Only some bacteria can do that. So nitrogen... Yeah. That's why there's a lot of nitrogen in our excrement, too, because we can't process it. Yeah. Well, the I, nitrogen yeah. cycle is actually quite complex. Maybe we should make an episode on the nitrogen cycle.
1: Maybe we should. Shane, right that So I'm just down. thinking
0: about plants and, like,
1: uh, what do you call it? Uh... I think, Kaolita. Gilding. You know, gilding. Good old gilding. It's a Danish word for Oh, what? <laughs> what is it? You know when you put put, put nitrogen rich stuff to your plants in order for them to grow better? Yeah. What's that called? Fertilizer. Fertilizer, yeah. There we go. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and that fertilizer yeah, so. has to come in a very specific form of nitrogen so that the plant can break yeah. it down because it's different from what humans break it down into. And basically, the really difficult piece of the nitrogen cycle is going back to the beginning, to what yeah. a plant can break down. And there's only unless certain you, types of bacteria un- unless you're that like, can do
1: that. You know, peas, and just go like, oh, it's in the air, you say? <laughs> Here's some bacteria that could like would like to help me do That's that. Okay, really sure. Cool.
0: Yeah, it in is. In the air you say. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So yes, okay. bacteria swim toward nutrient toward nutrients, toward shelter and away from predators and unsafe conditions. And one of the key microbiology words to describe this whole thing is chemotaxis, which is the a very fancy word for saying that you know, describing the process by which bacteria make decisions about where they want to go. So this isn't how they move there. The chemotaxis piece is how they decide that they want to move and where they want to move. And then motility is the term for how they execute that with their various little bacteria organ systems. I say organ, it's not really organ. It's like machinery protein bundles things like that they don't really have organs the little guys so in order to make decisions about how to move bacteria need to be able to gather data right about what's going on where the nutrients are where the favorable (laughs) and unfavorable conditions are and they do so using chemoreceptors that's exactly what it sounds like it detects chemicals it detects conditions And then based on information from those receptors, it it leads to signaling throughout the cell that then tells its sort of motility systems to do its thing, either continue in this direction or change direction because this isn't good. So the thing is, and I think this is like weirdly, adorably sad, bacteria are too small to detect gradients. They're too small to know which way to go if they only sample so a single small. time point. So the way bacteria account for this is they have to take sampling over time periods. That's like a
1: good scientist. Get an average.
0: It's, yeah, they're, they're really good scientists just to survive. Yeah, and so often what they'll do is they'll execute what's called, um, like, random, random motion random travel, random locomotion. They'll move randomly essentially. It's a chaotic system that essentially allows them to sample without any sort of decision-making involved until there is enough data to make a decision. So they'll randomly walk around whatever system it is until they get enough data that says, hey, the temperature over in this direction feels a little bit better. Let's keep going in that direction and see if that trend continues. So it's a random walk to gather data and then once a decision has been made it turns into a persistent movement in that direction. And we actually have systems like computer programs so we can take a microscope and look at a bunch of bacteria and take a little video of the bacteria just like moving around and then we can even design the experiment so that you know on this side there's really favorable conditions and on this side there's a toxin and then we plop the bacteria down and then take a video of it traveling. They're very cute if you can find one online. And then we have computer software that can tag each bacteria and then essentially create like a 2D map like an XY plane that shows you like the breadcrumbs of where the bacteria went. And then there's this entire sub-discipline dedicated to writing mathematical models that actually track how they change direction, when they change direction, how long they persisted in one direction. And just to give you an idea of how, like, how broad that field, that discipline is, we learned about it in a class I had last semester, and we spent a month talking just about how cells move and make decisions about where to go and how to model that. So there's a whole subfield that's just dedicated to, to that, essentially.
1: Okay, think about like, how small and like, in a way simple they are. Like, this is like a very big task to you know get to the right place for. Like, it's it, yeah, it's incredible that they actually know how to do it, but of course they do because they have to. But yeah, it's just it's crazy. Yeah, let's talk about flagella.
0: So, Caroline, where have we seen flagella before? I feel like everyone knows what flagella is, not everyone, yeah. a lot of people know what flagella is because of what human cell Sp- <laughs>
1: sperm.
0: The little sperm, yeah, so sperm move the same way, they have a flagella and essentially what a flagella is, it's like a little tail and it's shaped like a helix and it comes out of part of the bacteria or part of the cell at a little bit of an angle and this makes it behave like a propeller, essentially. So that means that when it spins in a certain direction, it propels the bacterium forward, propels the cell forward. But in a lot of cases, the flagella can only propel a cell forward if it spins one direction. Say, for example, uh, counterclockwise. If it's spinning counterclockwise, that's the only direction, that's the default setting. Go forward by spinning in the right direction, quote unquote. And if it wants to change direction, how do you think it does that, Caroline? That's a good question.
1: I mean, if it is, like, like helix-shaped,
0: mm-hmm. maybe
1: you could go in the other direction, but, like, does Some it know how to do that? Some bacteria can do
0: that. Some bacteria can do that, but not all bacteria can do that. I was
1: bacteria. thinking, like, maybe if you, like, turn a little bit more of an angle... Like, you if can't you, adjust
0: like, the angle. Oh. And I don't know. The they place. execute what is known as a tumble... <laughs> So a tumble is uh, rotating the flagellum the other way. The problem is only in some cases, only for some bacteria can you rotate the flagellum one way and and, you know go the other way and move backwards and like pull yourself backwards. This isn't the case for most bacteria. and So for most bacteria that have flagella, when they rotate the flagellum the other way, the clockwise direction, it causes the bacteria to just sort of like tumble around <laughs> in the fluid. Like <laughs> chaos. Absolute but is it chaos? Is it controlled at all or is it just like. It can control how long and how intensely it tumbles. So it can stop the tumble once it's decided to stop, essentially. But that tumbling is what causes it to change direction. And then once it's, you know, shifted and it's looking in a different direction and it wants to go that way, then it will reorient the flagellum so that it's rotating the counterclockwise direction, the default direction. And then it'll start going in that direction. But because of what we spoke about with chemoreceptors, it doesn't necessarily know when to stop, so <laughs> it can't detect that gradient. Right. So when it decides it wants to change direction, it kind of just spins the wheel of fortune with its own body by tumbling in solution and then going off in that direction and seeing if anything changes. And if nothing changes, it tumbles again and just keeps doing that until the conditions start improving or unfavorable conditions start to go away. Just,
1: just keep going and, like, use, like, the, the what do you call it, the probability.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Just, it's a, just exactly. keep going
1: until you hit it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there are no favorable conditions, and then sometimes mm-hmm. you put bacteria in space, and they're like, what is happening right now? Because you realize that gravity is kind of important for all of this yeah. to work, because in space, you know, an object in motion will continue in motion unless it's intercepted. Or something like that. I'm not a physicist, but essentially, <laughs> if the bacteria starts tumbling, it's a lot harder for it to, to slow itself down unless it counter-tumbles or it goes in one direction, and ends up curving, and so that's why bacteria... End up being in a perpetual state of stress when they're in space! <laughs> oh, poor the poor little things! Yeah, so there's technically two types of flagella. So in some cases, there's technically three, we'll get to the third anomaly case at the end, but the two main ones that you want to understand for this is that some, like the sperm, have just one, one single long flagellum that does all of the work, and then some bacteria have many, and they all work together. And you know, they they align when the bacteria is going in one direction, and they get all like messy and scrambled when it's tumbling. So it's like think of the difference between like a snake versus like a horse's tail. Yeah, yeah, the single it makes sense. Like
1: where the the sperm would be the snake, and the why does that make? I don't you? know. Sorry, what? Why would that make sense? Why, a snake
0: versus a horse tail? Yes, yes, yes. The analogy makes sense. I thought you meant, like, it makes sense that sperm only have one. And I'm like,
1: why? No, 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 no. I was just thinking about, like, the comparison between, like, sperm and snake. And, I don't know, E. coli and
0: a horse tail. All right, Caroline. Mm Mm-hmm. Challenge question time. Oh, no. How do you think the flagellum grows? From the tip or from the base? So, this is actually, let me mention, this is one of the major discoveries that was recently made in like the last few years.
1: Because I tried to cheat and I tried to Google it. Uh, but I came up with no, no nice, uh, no, no answer. So like just like one journal to, article. <laughs> okay. So I'm just going to go with what my guts tell me or what in my head would make sense. And that would be from the bottom, like from in, closest to the bacteria.
0: Well, you're wrong. And I, I know you going to be wrong. Yeah, which is why I put <laughs> it, put this in as a challenge question. <laughs> so yeah, the flagellum actually grows in bacteria. It, the flagellum actually grows from the tip. And the reason this works is because the flagellum is hollow. It's hollow. Hollow. Yeah, so it's actually a bunch of um a bunch of protein like pro single proteins that all spiral all along the top and that's what makes it hollow and then the inside then becomes a channel to carry more building blocks to the tip and you can- That's so smart! Yeah! (laughs)
1: So in a way, they come from like the closest part to the bacteria, but then they like go out and elongate it from the end. In the end, yeah. That's so cool. But also it just makes sense to, uh, to make stuff hollow.
0: I think it's great. I think it's awesome. The thing is, though, that archaea, so the whole other branch of organisms on, on the Earth, archaea also have flagella, But theirs is not hollow. Theirs actually grows from the base. And this is interesting because that means they didn't evolve from a common ancestor. They reached flagella separately. That's so cool. This feat of biological engineering happened twice, at least, in the development of life on Earth.
1: I just love evolution, and especially, like, parallel evolution, yeah. where, like, when you see an island that different sort of, like, like different life have just developed to come to, like, a general, what do you say, like, conclusion of function with, yeah. like, other islands and stuff. Like, we need to get here somewhere. Okay, how do we do it?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, like, goes to show you that it's such an efficient machine in such an efficient way to travel through fluids and I love it. It's awesome. It's super cool. And then I don't know where the eukaryotic flagella fits into that like our like sperm flagella. I don't know if it's Mm. hollow or if it's if it's not. Um, So I don't know if that if we have a common ancestor way way back where the cells diversified from a flagella ancestor. (laughs) I was going to say flagellated, but that's not what that means. Because flagellate means to, like, hit, right? Like, to beat. Because, like, self-flagellation is, like, that thing where you, like, whip yourself for... Oh, yeah. Personal, spiritual reasons. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so not flagellated. But that is actually where flagella got its name, because it's, like, a little whip. Like, a personal whip, except it's not used for harm it's used for yeah it's used for motility instead (laughs) and locomotion
1: i just want to see another
0: like little animation about
1: i don't know a bacteria that just like starts like using its flagella to like itself. the other one is just like dude no that's not that's not how you like supposed to use that
0: Uh, okay um, we're gonna shift gears yes to another another motility technique that bacteria use. This one's called pili. Pili is the plural, pilius is the singular. I really don't like the word pilius. Pilius. Pe- yeah, pilius. So, um, okay, so pili then are, are long filaments that stick out of the bacteria, but they're not like flagella. They're not as long as flagella, And the thing about pili is that they can spontaneously assemble and disassemble very very rapidly, extraordinarily rapidly, like fractions of a second. They just like whip out and whip back in. And the way that this is done is like imagine like a stack of Legos. The bacteria is capable of assembling one by one a stack of Legos until it protrudes out of the bacterial body And then tearing those down one by one to pull it back in. That is so cool. Super cool. Super cool. So these Pellae are used for a number of different things. They're used to grab loose DNA, which we love talking about here. And that's either, did you know Caroline that loose DNA is not exclusively used for horizontal gene transfer, it is sometimes also used for nutrition Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, Yeah, so bacteria can break the bonds in DNA and use that to generate energy for their own metabolism. Or they can use those DNA components, like the building blocks of DNA, to duplicate their own DNA. If they're in a really tight bind where conditions are scarce and they're not able to assemble those units on their own. That's so smart. So smart. And then some bacteria don't even have that. Some bacteria's genomes is like, well... We always have these DNA building blocks around for some reason. I guess we'll just get rid of the DNA that tells us how to make those building blocks and this happens a lot with lab bacteria and that's why they're like so frail and delicate and oh I babies. need this very specific nutrient otherwise I just can't do it. It's babies, babies. Yeah. Little babies, little lab baby bacteria. Yeah. So another thing that the pillus is used for is bacteria sex so we're talking about the process called conjugation, which is just the bacteria way of saying we're exchanging DNA, which is basically bacteria sex. So bacteria replicate asexually, right, they just bud off, they duplicate their cells via mitosis. So they just create a perfect copy of themselves. Um, and then that is how they continue reproducing. Now, conjugation is a process whereby bacteria Consensually share DNA before they duplicate like that. And in order to get the DNA from one bacteria to the other, they're gonna need to touch somehow. And so what happens is the pilus protrudes, it grabs onto the, the partner bacterium, and then the pilus retracts and pulls the other bacterium towards it until they meet in the middle and then their membranes fuse just a little bit, just a little bit, and they create a little tunnel through which the DNA can pass. But this tunnel is not big enough to let all of the DNA through. So there's actually, you can only send half of the DNA at a time, which makes sense, right? You don't want to cut the entire piece. You just want to give a copy, the photocopy of the DNA. So it peels the DNA in half, And then it needs a special protein that bends and twists it and contorts it such that it can actually file through in like single file rather than this single helix, otherwise it would be too fat. So single file, and then once it makes it to the other bacterium, there's another protein that assists it in refolding so that it can embed itself into the new genome nice and smoothly. Um, And that is how bacteria segs works. It's so romantic. It's very cute. Um, and so the cool thing about this is that it must be consensual because the membrane won't fuse unless the <laughs> bacteria doesn't want it to, um, which is great. Like bacteria figure that out. Um, and that's awesome. And then the last piece that um, that pili contribute to is of course motility, which is why we're talking about them today. But pili can't propel the bacteria forward the way the flagella do so the motility is executed by the pillows goes out and then as it retracts It drags the bacteria forward like in a violent horror movie climax and this is called gliding motility, which doesn't seem appropriate because it's literally like ugh, dragging itself <laughs> pollen, <huh>? um, Yeah <laughs> So, it's it's not the cutest thing ever, but essentially the reason why these are different is because the flagella is really, really good for swimming. So, they use the flagella, bacteria use flagella in fluids, and they use the pili when they're on surfaces, like on your skin or on tabletops, they'll just drag themselves along if there isn't a fluid uh, to bind to. And it's
1: them to. super horror movie, actually, like, eh.
0: You know, or just like, yeah, like, your legs have been injured and you have to, like, drag yourself yeah. to safety. That's kind no, of what the is, like... Gotta be swampy. Gotta be swampy. So then the last form of motility also involves um, a very specific type of pillus. It's called the type 4 pillus and this is responsible for twitch motility, which is when the bacteria will reach out its pili and instead of attaching and pulling itself to a surface, it'll just send out the pili, and then retract it very quickly, and then send it out, and then retract it very quickly. And doing this repeatedly makes it like twitch across a surface. Like if you've ever laid down on the ground and thrashed your limbs, you kind of start moving. And that's exactly what twitch motility is at a cellular level. There you go. It's not graceful. It's not as (laughs) graceful as swimming with a flagellum, but um... It gets the job kind of done. It kind of gets the job done. Yeah, and bacteria can actually swim pretty fast. So, definitely if swimming is an option, I think bacteria opt for swimming. But then, not all bacteria have flagella. There is
1: one bacteria, I cannot remember the name of it, but it's so fast that it has never been, um, been seen in a microscope.
0: That is so cool. It's, it's just
1: super like a cool. I need to, It does. Control. It is. It is. I'm, <laughs> I had a friend who made like, um, do you know those old like car cards games or something like that, where you had like different mm-hmm. um, strengths and stuff and then you could like play with them and be like, I would like to challenge you on yes. like speed or something. Yeah. You he do. made a game of that just with, yeah, he made a game with, of that just with bacteria and stuff. And, um, This one bacteria was just, like, the
0: top one when it came to speed. It was so fun. (laughs) It's so pleasing. I love that. All right, Caroline, we're going to move on to talk about one of my favorite motility strategies. And it also, like, my favorite bacteria has this strategy of motion, and it's part of why it's my favorite bacteria. It's, like, 70% why this is my favorite bacteria, is because of how it moves. And for those of you who have been listening to the show for a while, you know already that my favorite bacterium is Borrelia, the bacterium that causes Lyme disease and it's shaped like a corkscrew. So essentially the question is, it's shaped like a corkscrew. We know that in order to move, the corkscrew twists like a corkscrew, but how does it get itself to twist, Caroline? That's a good How question. does it twist? Because it doesn't have a flagella, except it does. What? It's an inside flagellum. Inside flagellum. So okay, so essentially, more. essentially what happens, so this is a, a, a particular shape of bacterium called a spirochete. That just means it's shaped like a corkscrew and It has two membranes, but it isn't gram negative. So remember, we spoke about the gram staining process. And if it stains, right, if it ends up becoming purple, it's gram positive because it has this chain mail around it that helps it keep its shape. And that chain mail is what ultimately gets stained. And so some antibiotics attack that chain mail and so we will stain the bacteria purple. And if it catches the stain, we know the antibiotics that target that, that chain mail will work. But this bacterium has two membranes and it doesn't keep the stain. So it's not, it doesn't actually have that chainmail, which is a big anomaly in microbiology. And basically everything about this bacterium is an anomaly. And that's why I like it so much. So it's not gram-negative. It doesn't have that chainmail cell wall. And in between its two membranes is a flagella. And the flagellum attaches at both ends. So it's not like it sticks out on one side, it attaches on one end and runs all the way through in between the two membranes and attaches at the front. And so this is come really difficult this, to describe because I... Right? I Why? It's, it's crazy. So I don't have an analogy for this and I wish I could come up with an activity or something where you could like get a corkscrew and like tie a string between it. But essentially what happens Is there's motors at the top at the front and at the back of the bacterium and when they spin in opposite directions that flagella ends up creating a repeated process of tension and recovery that twists the entire body of the bacterium like a corkscrew. What? It's brilliant! It's so (laughs) cool! This happened evolutionarily! It's so cool! So So what happens with this process and the reason why the corkscrew piece is valuable for Borrelia in particular is because it burrows into really, really dense tissues like tissues in your ligament, in your cartilage, right, the cartilage in between your bones. And that is what enables bacterium to cause the main Lyme disease symptom, which is arthritis. It's joint pain. Because it's colonizing in your joint tissue and causing inflammation there. And the only way that it can get there is by being a corkscrew.
1: But it's so smart because bam, you just eliminated other bacteria there. Yeah. Like you can't get here. There's I'll no live competition. Here by myself
0: now. No. Even the immune system struggles to get there. The host <laughs> immune system. <laughs> Even antibiotics are struggling <laughs> to get there. It's brilliant. It's not supposed to get in here. I will now take questions about bacteria motility.
1: How Dana? That's my question. Just how?
0: I, I can't answer that. They're brilliant little creatures. I love them. This is no longer Armor on the Air. This is now a Flagella Stand podcast. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> With you yeah, it's just I've heard this and correct me if you know that I'm wrong and dear listeners, correct me too if you do, but I've heard that it takes t- 20 generation in order to implement a new like mutation or uh, evolutionary trait or something I like that. I
0: actually don't know that, but it but, sounds reasonable.
1: Yeah. And, like, 20 generation, human-wise, that's, like, 20 times 20, right? That's, like, 400 years or so. Um, like, if, if you want to... I don't know. Probably longer now. Huh? People are waiting to have children. But, like, with bacteria, you could, like... You could do that fairly quickly if under the right circumstances or under the right, like... Uh, if, if, yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and, and consider, like, bacteria sex is a thing that happens... So that's like a big investment for future generations if you just get some DNA. Discover your power up that your great 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 times 20 grandmother got from some some guy. I guess yeah. that was floating <laughs> in solution. Well, I don't know if I don't know. There was there could have been DNA exchange with there was no romantic feelings. I don't know what's going on. The point is it was consensual. So great yes. times twenty grandmother bacterium was was into it, and yeah. now you get a power up.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you, twenty grandmom. Yes.
0: <laughs> All right. We need to stop talking about bacteria sex. Anyway, thank you dear listeners for tuning in. We put out podcasts every other week to teach you all about the societal implications of microbiology and health. You can keep up with us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also keep up with us on social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter at C U underscore Armor. And we also meet every Tuesday at 230 Mountain Standard Time to do this. And you're welcome to join us. You can email or DM us for the Zoom link. Our email is armor at colorado.edu. If your community has unique needs, we encourage you to start your own chapter of armor. And then you can come be guests on our podcast and we can hang out and vibe about microbiology. If you want to learn more about that, visit our website at arclabs.org forward slash armor. Thank you for tuning in.